his movie in Braveheart where Mel Gibson with his face painted blue uh, shouting freedom as he uh, inspired the troops to go and fight against the English in that movie. And uh, whatever you think of that, um, it certainly wasn't very historically uh, accurate, if nothing else. But the nations described here in Psalm 2 appear to be unhappy with the, the unwelcome constraints put upon them by the law of God. And of course, in terms of humankind uh, and mankind, um, that's a, not an unusual position for us to take. Um, and if we look back to um, the book of Genesis, uh, we'll find that uh, the desire of man uh, to have freedom uh, was instigated by a lie of the devil since, since creation. And uh, if we read Genesis chapter 2, verses 16 and 17, um, the Lord God puts constraints on, uh, the, on man in the garden. And he says, now here are the constraints. You are free to eat of any fruit in the garden. Now, for me, that doesn't sound like much like a constraint. You are free to eat from any tree in the garden, but you must not eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, for when you eat it, you will certainly die. Um, what does that tell us about God? Well, first of all, it tells us that he wants us to be free. Um, he wants us to be free to worship him. He wants us to be free to serve him. And he also, on the other hand, wants to protect us against things that will harm us and bring damage to us. In Genesis 3, the, the, the serpent comes and beguiles the woman, and she and her husband then uh, broke these so-called constraints uh, and ate the forbidden fruit. And so, uh, when we read these verses, we, we read in Psalm 2, verse 1, about the people plotting uh, against the Lord. And so, it's true that human beings plot. We plot all the time. Uh, we plot, uh, if you just think about it for a moment, um, when, when, we, when we desire to kind of justify our sin or, uh, or justify uh, how we go against the law of God and his word, we, we, we plot ways in our mind to justify that. And just in these simple ways, we plot against the Lord. And so the word plot here um, is used in a, in a very strong way. But interestingly, um, as far as I understand it, the word plot and the word meditate are actually the same word, uh, but they're used in a different context. Uh, in Psalm uh, 1 verse 2 uh, and so on. So one brings good, plotting and meditating. One brings good, the other brings evil. And it kind of, the word comes from when people kind of mutter under their breath or, or murmuring under their breath, uh, perhaps when you're meditating on something or when you're plotting on something, you may have a similar approach. And so meditating on God's law brings good, but plotting against God brings evil. And so let's read uh, Psalm 2 verse 1. It says, Why do the nations conspire and the peoples plot in vain? The kings of the earth rise up 
And the rulers band together against the Lord and against his anointed, saying, Let us break their chains and throw off their shackles. It's interesting, nations, peoples, kings, rulers, covering all sorts of types of government, they band together. And it may be that the wheels in your mind are beginning to, to run at the moment on that, and we hopefully we'll come back to that. But it's interesting that the emphasis here uh, on what they are saying is that there are chains and shackles. And yet, as we've already said, God wants to bring freedom to us. God doesn't want to shackle us. He doesn't want to put us in chains. And so God's word calls for freedom and protection uh, for his people. And so there there needs to be a change of mind uh, in how we read God's word and how we approach God. Uh, You know, the, the word of God asks us and commands us really not to conform to the ways of this world but to be transformed by his word. And so our minds have to be changed by what God says rather than what this world has to say to us. So the nations here in, in uh, Psalm 2 in the first couple of verses are, are throwing a kind of hissy fit about um, what God is saying to them. They don't want to comply They don't want to follow his ways, uh, and they're not having it. And so how does this happen in reality? If you think about our own generation, how do people rage in reality? Well, some people begin to shout, that's true. But uh, if you think of the crucifixion, they, they, they rage when they crucified the Lord who came to deliver them from sin. He came to give them freedom. And yet they raged against him because he was speaking to them with regard to their sin. They rage when they they persecute the servants of the Lord. They rage whenever they speak as if God does not exist at all and that he doesn't care, which is patently not true. And reading the scriptures will make that clear to us. They rage whenever they call evil good and good evil, as is described in the Scriptures too. They rage when they see, and when they seek a, 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 to legalize uh, marriages out with the boundaries set by God's word. It's part of raging against God. We're not having it. We're not having your standards. We're not doing it your way. They rage when they insist that. For example, abortion is right and it's not murder. Offering up the children on the altar of convenience. They rage when immorality and wickedness are paraded as entertainment. They rage when employers exploit employees. They rage when churches are burned. And even in our Western world, we're seeing churches being burned at this moment in time. They rage when they campaign against atheism. And, and, and in many other ways, the nations rage, the people rage. So I want to look into a few verses in the New Testament, which will help us a little bit this evening. 
when we look at Psalm 2, we, we, it's not attributed in the psalm itself uh, to King David, but we can find it attributed to David elsewhere. If we look in the, in the book of Acts chapter 4, um, there's a, a situation happening there. The, a, a, a lame man has been, has been healed. The disciples are, are preaching the gospel. And they have been held to account for what they've said and what they've done. Acts 4.23, if you're looking for it, to 31. And disciples are, are pulled up before the Sanhedrin just before this, these few verses. And, and the believers begin to pray uh, for the situation. And it says in verse 23 of Acts 4, on their release, Peter and John went back to their own people and reported all that the chief priests and the elders had said, said to them. And when they heard this, they raised their voices together in prayer to God. Here's the prayer. Sovereign Lord, they said, you made the heavens and the earth and the sea and everything in them. Verse 25. You spoke by the Holy Spirit through the mouth of your servant, our father David. Here is the church. It's, it's understanding that when they're in trouble, they need God's guidance. And they pray a psalm. Here's the psalm. Psalm 2. Why do the nations rage and the peoples plot in vain? The kings of the earth rise up and the rulers band together against the Lord and against his anointed one. And then they apply it to their own situation. Indeed, Herod and Pontius Pilate met together with the Gentiles and the people of Israel in this city to conspire against your holy servant Jesus, whom you anointed. Verse 28, they did what your power and will had decided beforehand should happen. They were aware that in Christ, no matter what happens, the will of God is at work in our lives. Verse 29. Now, Lord, consider their threats and enable your servants to speak your word with great boldness. Stretch out your hand to heal and perform signs and wonders through the name of your holy servant, Jesus. After they prayed, verse 31, after they prayed, the place where they were meeting was shaken and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and spoke the word of God boldly. Here they have included a psalm. The inspiration of that included in their prayer and, and as part of that they see God at work, not only in their own lives but the whole place is shaken uh, by the Spirit at work uh, in them and through them uh, as they pray. And so it's so important that we understand the Psalms can be prayed in such a way. And, and it's our prayer that somehow God shakes his church and, and inspires his church to move forward as we hear uh, his word spoken in such a way. And so they're, they're declaring that the that part of the, the nations were conspiring against the Lord. The conspiracy theory was actually happening. 
It was a fact. Herod, a Jewish leader, king, and Pontius Pilate, a Roman leader and governor, both sworn enemies and rivals join together to plot against Jesus. And so we know from this portion of Acts uh, some important uh, information. The first is that uh, this Psalm 2 that we're uh, speaking about is a product of the pen uh, of King David. Um, and so we can attribute that psalm to him. We know also that this and, and all of the psalms were spoken by the Spirit. And we can deduce that we can pray these words as Christians uh, and as the Christians in Acts did as well, written for Christ because we are in him. So we have prayers written down by David, directed by the Spirit for Christ to pray to his Father and for us in him to pray in our times of need, difficulty, and challenge, just as the Christians in the Acts of the Apostles did. And here's another excerpt from, from uh, Acts as well, which is speaking about Psalm 2. And it's in Acts 13, verse 33. And it's a very similar vein to what we've already read. Verse 13, um, start at verse 32, we tell you uh, the good news. What God promised our ancestors, he has fulfilled for us, their children, by raising up Jesus. As it is written in the second Psalm, you are my son, today I have become your father. God raised him from the dead so that he will never be subject to decay. As God has said, I will give you the holy and sure blessings promised to David. So again, showing us that the Psalms were intended for Jesus uh, to pray. Our generation is also plotting, as, as we alluded to already, conspiring against the Lord. In the ways listed above uh, we saw that the world is plotting against and conspiring to bring into disrepute the word of God and will not listen to it. How can we free ourselves from these constraints? We can hear these words kind of ringing in our ears from the media and from our politicians and so on. How can we free ourselves from the constraints that God has put upon us? We want to rule over our own lives. I want to be king. It's my body. How many times have we heard that in recent years? It's my body. It's my life. I can do as I please. Proverbs 14:12 says this: "There is a way that seems right to a man. But in the end, it leads to death. Judges 17, verse 6 says this In those days, there was no king in Israel. Every, everyone did what was right in his own eyes, and the country was in a mess. 1 Corinthians chapter 6, 19 to 20. We're told there that we can't 
take our lives to be our own. It says you are not your own. You are bought with a price, the precious blood of Jesus. You're not your own. That's how God sees it. And we need to have our lives, our minds altered by God, turned around by the word of God to be able to see the right way and to have the right lens before our eyes. We've been purchased with a price, the precious blood of Jesus. Hosea chapter 14 verse 8 and following says this, Who is discerning? Who is discerning? Let them understand the ways of the Lord are right. The righteous walk in them, but the rebellious stumble in them. And then Jesus himself says this, remembering that uh, the, the nations and the peoples are talking about chains and shackles. Jesus says, my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Take my yoke upon you and learn of me. There's something to be gained as we take on the yoke of Christ. Psalm 2 verse 4 says there, the, the one enthroned in heaven laughs. The Lord scoffs at them. He rebukes them in his anger and terrifies them in his wrath, saying, I have installed my king on Zion, my holy mountain. I have installed my king on Zion, my holy mountain. A good ruler is declared. We saw in Psalm 1, uh, verses 1 to 4 this morning, the blessed one is our Lord Jesus Christ. He is the Lord. He's not laughing at the suffering that's going on in the world, but he is laughing at the haughty pride and arrogance of those who plot. And uh, we, can, we can look through the scriptures and see where, where God appears and, and the, those he, whom he appears to are completely taken by surprise. They are not able to cope. And uh, if we read the book of Job, for example, which we've been through here some time ago, uh, we see that Job even is challenged by the Lord when he thinks, well, why is it not going my way? Why are things not happening my way? Um, the Lord says to him, where were you uh, when I created the heavens and the earth and put the rivers in place and so on? Where were you then? Uh, the Lord knows of all of our plotting. He knows of the world's leaders plotting. Colossians 2.15, it says there, and having disarmed the powers and authorities, he made a public spectacle of them, triumphing over them in the cross. A public spectacle of those who would set themselves up, the dark powers of this world, triumphing over them in the cross. And of course, in the book of Revelation, we see lots of examples of, of the Lord at work there. Verse, uh, chapter 11, verse 16 to 18, it says, And the 24 elders who were seated on their thrones before God fell on their faces and worshipped God, saying, We give thanks to you, Lord God Almighty, the one who is and who was, because you have taken your great power and you have begun to reign. 
The nations were angry, and your wrath has come. The time has come for judging the dead and for rewarding your servants, the prophets, and your people who revere your name. There's where the reward lies. It lies in the hands of Christ. It lies in the hands of Christ to give to his prophets, to give to those who revere his name, not in those who say, no, 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 it's my life. Not in those who plot against the Lord. Those who revere your name, both great and small, and for destroying those who destroy the earth. So in Psalm 2, we see these plot, this plotting going on. And then in Psalm 2 verse 7, it says, I will proclaim the Lord's decree. He said, you're my son, today I have become your father. J.J. Lim puts it this way, he says, uh, in, in inverted commas, you are my son. <clears throat> Today I have become your father, says the father to the son. Now take note that the father does not say, this day I have become your father, therefore you are my son. He says, you are my son. Today I have become your father. Christ is the eternally begotten son of God. It's, he has come the, the eternal begotten Son of God, which is remarkable, and the one that we come to worship and praise even this evening. And if you want to see that confirmed in, in uh, Acts of the Apostles, look at Acts 13. We're not going to take time to do that just now, because time doesn't really permit us to do that. But Acts 13, verses 30 to 33, will give you more information on that. This statement, this uh, quote, if you like, this proclamation in Psalm 2, you are my son, today I have become your father, was actually uh, proclaimed over every king of Israel as the crown was being placed on their head. So every king from David onwards were, were, were given that proclamation, you are my son, today I have become your father. And of course, it's prophetic nature was really to do with Christ. This king, Jesus, the son, the son of David, set in place by God, the father, will be unlike the rebellious kings that we see in verses 1 to 3, but he will rule the world. Verse 8 of chapter 2 of Psalm 2 says this, Ask me, and I will make the nations, or the heathen, the authorized version calls, these people. I will make the nations your inheritance and the ends of the earth your possession. You will break them with a rod of iron and will dash them to pieces like pottery. And again, that's echoed in the New Testament in Hebrews 1 12, where it talks about rolling them up like a robe, like a garment. They will be changed. And he talks about breaking them and ruling them. <clears throat> and these words uh, can, be, can be translated to shepherd them, to shepherd them. Now, wayward sheep, <laughs> these nations, wayward sheep are a challenging group uh, to deal with. Anybody who's been involved with sheep will know they're like, they're like water. They can go through things that you thought you had them blocked in and they disappear. Um, and they are difficult to deal with. 
But Jesus, uh, in Psalm 23, we hear of the shepherd who is our Christ Jesus, both having a rod and a staff. He is one who uh, disciplines, but he's also one who brings guidance and protection uh, to us. And so, breaking them, dashing them to pieces like pottery is referring to the heathen gods and deities and the sinful, unrepentant people uh, brought together as the wicked um, uh, in the Scriptures. So, in this psalm, we're seeing this, this powerful shepherd um, coming to us. It's, we, we sometimes see shepherding as being very pastoral uh, in its like, but uh, a shepherd um, has to have power as well. I have a friend who, who is um, a Rwandan uh, pastor nowadays, um, but he tells me of the time when he was a child and with his brothers he had to protect his father's animals and sit out all night and watch these animals. And uh, I don't know if you've been to a game park or anything like that, but um, game parks don't have fences. They only have gates so that you pay to get in. <laughs> they don't have fences to keep the animals in. They, uh, the animals get out. And uh, he would say that um, at night, he and his brothers would have to defend the animals from, from maybe 60 hyena who would come to try and take their animals away. And these wee boys are running around with sticks and bows and arrows uh, and whatnot, trying to protect the animals. And Jesus is, is our protector. He is the one who is our shepherd. It's not about rubbing our hands over these lovely little woolly sheep. It's about defending them against the works of the devil. Hebrews 5, uh, 1 to 5 says this, Every high priest is selected from among the people and is appointed, appointed to represent the people in matters related to God, to offer gifts and sacrifices for sins. But he's able to deal gently with those who are ignorant and are gone astray since he himself is subject to weakness. But we have a great high priest who is not subject to weakness in the same way because he never sinned. And it goes on in verse 3. This is why he wants to say sacrifices for his own sins and so on. Christ did not take on himself the glory of becoming a high priest, but God said to him, you are my son. Today I have become your father. He became our great high priest. He became the one who will protect us. In the end, of course, Christ does inherit the nations, as is concluded in the psalm. In Revelation chapter 7, verse 9 to 10, it's an astounding uh, few verses. After this is John the Apostle looking. After this I looked, and there before me was a great multitude that no one could count. From every nation, every tribe, people, and language, 
standing before the throne and before the Lamb. They were wearing white robes and were holding palm branches in their hands. And they cried in a loud voice, Salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. Yes, it may well be kind of funny when we think about the situation that we see in Psalm 2. The, the God, God in heaven laughs and holds them in scorn. It may well be funny in some ways, and I think it's true to say that. But it's not funny that the world is raging against their creator to whom they owe respect and honor. Like spoiled brats, we, we try to take to ourselves those things that are not ours. We throw a tantrum at God. And we think that somehow or another, God the Father won't do anything. Those of us who remember our childhood will probably remember that <laughs> our father did do something and it wasn't all that pleasant at the time. And so there it says God will visit them with wrath and put down the rebellion. He will punish them for raging and rebelling against him. One, one word from God and, and, and the, the whole world could be silent. But you see, God is merciful. We live before God, a God who is merciful. Psalm 2, verse 6. Yet I have set my king upon my holy hill of Zion, he says. He is merciful. He has given us opportunity to repent. Instead of destroying the world, he sets up a son as king upon his holy hill of Zion. That is Christ, the king. And he is ruler over his church, the holy hill of Zion. Second Peter chapter 3 verse 9 tells us that God is withholding his wrath, not willing that any should perish those appointed for salvation he's, he's not willing that any should perish and he's calling upon the world to repent and that's where it's at we need to repent we need to turn away from our sin we need to hear God's word and turn away from that which is going to destroy us turn away from the attitude that says well this is my life Turn away from the attitude that says, well, God's word is old-fashioned and no longer applies. I don't know how many times I've heard somebody say that. Well, it's written by these people in the Old Testament. What did they know? Not knowing, not aware that, that the word of God is written by inspiration of God. It's God's word. It's not man's word. It's God's word. And he's calling us to repent. He's calling us as believers where we have attitudes that are wrong to repent. But he's also calling the world to repent and turn to Christ. And he's calling not with a sword. He could come with a sword, but he's calling not with a sword. But he's calling with a gospel of peace. A gospel that gives us opportunity. A gospel that brings freedom and not shackles. It brings a harness to us. 
that we can be directed and guided. And so in verse 10 of Psalm 2, it says this, Therefore, you kings, be wise, be warned, you rulers of the earth. Serve the Lord with fear and celebrate his rule with trembling. Kiss his son, or he will be angry, and you will and your way will lead you to destruction, for his wrath can flare up in a moment. And so God is giving given a warning to the kings of the earth, the rulers, and and uh, we're going to see something going on at COP26 uh, next week in Glasgow. And all these people from uh, rulers from all over the world are going to be there. And I'm sure that they will um, come up with conclusions that they've come to and never refer once, perhaps, uh, to the Word of God. A warning to the kings of the earth. They are called upon to serve the Lord. I'm very grateful for our own monarch here uh, who confesses to be a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ. Uh, our governments in Westminster and Holyrood, well, perhaps that's a different matter. But we are called to pray for those that are in power. First Timothy 2, 1-6 tells us that. I urge you then, first of all, petitions and prayers and intercession uh, and thanksgiving be made for all people, but for kings and those in authority because it's the will of God it tells us there and so this psalm is, is challenging the kings it's challenging those of us who want to be kings of our own lives it's challenging us to say Lord we, we bow to you we give over the responsibility for our lives to you and we want to walk in your ways. We want to go your direction. Revelation 11.15 says this, The seventh angel sounded his trumpet and there were loud voices in heaven which said, The kingdom of the world has become the kingdom of our Lord and of his Christ and he will reign forever and ever. The kingdoms of this world have become the kingdoms of our Lord and of his Christ. We can pass over the responsibility, the rights to our kingdom and give them to him. They're his in the first place because he created us. It says here in the very final part of this psalm, blessed are all who take refuge in him. We learned this morning that blessed, blessed means happy are all those who take refuge in him. Psalm 1 that we read this morning opens with a kind of beatitude. Blessed, are, blessed is the man. Now Psalm 2 closes with that similar beatitude. Blessed are all. Blessed are all who take refuge in him. There's real grace in the call that the Lord makes to the plotting, conspiring kings of the earth, even those kings of our own lives, even those rulers of our own lives. This call of grace is towards each one of us to come to him, to take refuge in him, and to be saved by him. Let's not shun the offering that he has brought before us. 
to be saved and to turn to the Lord Jesus Christ. Let that blessing be upon us tonight as we, as we hear these words. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we, we give you thanks for your word. We thank you for this psalm which teaches us so much. We pray that you would help us because of ourselves we are sinful and we are broken and we make wrong decisions and we take authority over things that are not ours. And Lord, we apologize, we repent and we want to turn to you, giving you the rights to our lives, giving you the responsibility to put on that harness, that yoke that you want us to wear to be directed by you which would give us so much freedom Heavenly Father forgive us for wanting to own our lives because you've purchased them you've purchased us with the precious blood of Jesus Help us now as we consider these things to be obedient to you and to serve you. In Jesus' name, amen.